Big content week. Big content week. Excited to have our man Chris Long back, uh, co-host throughout the football season. Took a little longer than we thought, but man, what a great time to have four playoff games this weekend. So we'll run through all of those games, get a little story time from him as well. And uh, that's what we're going to do today. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter-player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Hey, Life Advice the back end, as always, and... Chris Long for about an hour. I know some of you probably wondering, oh, you're going to do more on the hardened trade. We're not. We did an hour of it with Bill uh, and the taping and when this comes out and all that kind of stuff. I'm just if you want, we had a big content week here. So I've got the Monday pod with Tim Hasselbeck. I've got the Wednesday pod with Max Greenfield, which was terrific. If you want to learn about the big short and him trying out for the mortgage broker role, which was he was awesome in that. That was kind of like I think the first time I'd really learned about him. Um, then he was a new girl in the neighborhood as well. And that was really cool to talk with him. And then we did another Bill and I pod on the, on the league so far this season for about two plus hours on Tuesday. And then we did an emergency pod on Thursday for the Harden trade. So all the Harden stuff and you know, Philly ended up not getting him, which is what a lot of people around the league thought earlier that day. That's why Woj is still the king because every tweet Woj was, he had left Brooklyn. And I'm telling you, there was all this momentum and Ben Simmons, hundred percent available. By the way, I'm, I'll, I don't care what anybody says about that. But it was it really crazy that it was like, oh, Philly, Philly, and then you start kind of you know checking with other people, like, yep, hearing the same thing. Not sure the pieces. They don't want to trade Tyrese Maxey, and then boom, Brooklyn. So that was uh, that was an interesting one um, because it it seemed like everybody that was saying Philly earlier that day, it just they were they were so late on it. I don't know. It's weird. Very weird. Uh, very weird transaction and an even weirder team. So we did an hour of that stuff with Jack McFarlane and Bill. Okay. Also want to remind everybody, big announcement this weekend, immediately following the final game, Saturday and Sunday, Ringer NFL show is going to be going live. So make sure you're subscribed to the Ringer's YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash the Ringer. And that's following all of the playoff games. And make sure you check us out at Ringer NFL. I think Mallory Rubin, Kevin Clark, and I are going to do Saturday 
And then it'll be Kevin and Noor Princiati on Sunday. So that was a lot of fun last weekend. That's what we're going to do this one. I think Mallory's going to just jump on for some of the Baltimore stuff. So make sure you check that out. Let's talk some football with Chris Long. Chris Long joins us. Uh, the Greenlight Podcast. Some have called it other deep, but they had a big read the room <laughs> special <laughs> recently. Uh, big Cat, Chris and I banged out almost a couple hours the other day talking about college coaches uh, and then some pro coaches and coordinators even. It just expanded, expanded. And what our profile would most be like. It uh, it was nicer than I thought it was going to be because Chris sent me a text the night before. I think we were talking actually, and you said, "Hey, one of them's kind of bad, so I may edit it out." So I don't know if you actually did that one because you are generally you lean towards the nicer side. Um, and I was like, "All right, whatever, man." And then I woke up. I was like, "I, I wonder how mean he's going to get." I was like, "He's not a mean guy, so I'm not sure." Uh, Big Cat can be a little meaner at times because that's his. Big Cat his- was mean. Big Cat. Big Cat called me uh, Terry Bowden uh, because he said I was living off my dad's name. And uh, at first, I didn't even get the joke because I I don't follow Terry Bowden's <laughs> career as uh, as closely as you college football junkies. <laughs> Terry got some good gigs. He did, and he seems really likable. When I Google image searched him, he seems really lovable. <laughs> like a, a guy you want to you want to give a hug to. Uh, yeah, we were kind of mean to you, and I left that in, Ryan, because I thought it was important to get to the conversation that we had to clear some things up. Oh, you mean off the top? Yeah, no, that's 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 fine. For uh, the thing is, everybody that's listening to this podcast generally likes me, so um, I don't know. I don't know how many people would have would have gotten to hear that. Maybe some coworkers can can go download <laughs> that one and, and listen to it as they try to sabotage me. Um, let's uh, let's. You had a thing that I wanted to add to this, though. You said I'd be a bad recruiter, and you left it out. And then you guys totally all agree. Totally Why would I be a bad recruiter for college football? Well, because these days you have to, I feel like, um, just suck balls to be a good recruiter, <laughs> for lack of a better. Like, you have, to, you have to bend over backwards for these kids and tell them how great they are. And you're the type of guy that's like, listen, I'm going to level with you. I don't think you're that great. We need depth. Like... You know, just every once in a while, it'd be nice <laughs> for you to put on a brave face and be happy and cheerful <laughs> and lie to people <laughs> about how good they are. Yeah, but I feel like by lying to them, I'm doing them a disservice. So Yes, in, you know, in the game of life, but in the game of college football, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not lying to these kids these days. Yeah, I uh, I had a lot of Spurrier stories with uh, Tim Hasselbeck earlier this week because he played for him with that Washington team. And yeah. like, I don't know how many Spurrier stories you've heard over the years, but somebody texted me one and said that a, a kid on the team like wasn't playing well and they were going over the film and Spurrier's like, what the hell is this guy doing? What's he doing? And then the, the kid was like, I'm sorry, coach. And Spurrier's like, why are you sorry? We're the one that gave you the scholarship. <laughs> I mean, you know what? <laughs> He's absolutely right. He's on to something there, but I guarantee you that Spurrier lied to people before he brought them on campus before they got to Gainesville. The lying part is is tough because to be able to look a quarterback like a kid in the eyes and go, you're going to be our guy. And then he shows up and you're like, who the hell's this other? Now, granted, everybody's so on top of it now. It's not like another four-star QB is going to come in your class and you're not going to know about it. But when you're told you're the only guy we're recruiting at your position and you're going to start right away, like I believe that the kids are are totally blindsided by this, but I also believe that that's kind of the, doing the business the way business is done. Um, do you have a guy that lied to you? 
I couldn't lie to players, man. That's the one thing. I, I wouldn't say I ever got lied to. You know, I got surprised before. Like when I signed in Philly, there was like, there is a very, there's like a very small chance we're going to take a DN. Like <laughs> really small. And I've told this story before. I go to Germany to get stem cell because I'm old. And, you know, dudes are doing that sort of thing. And I know. I wanted to go with you. But then you told me how expensive it was. I was like, all yeah, right, maybe next expensive. year. Yeah. But like, you know, I, I've always invested in my body. And at that point, I'm trying to prove myself in Philly. And I, and, and I want to have a great year. And I want to be fresh. Um, so I'm in Germany. And I get my first treatment. And I wake up uh, in the middle of the night to check my phone. Because the draft coincided with me being in Germany. And I just wake up to roll over and check my phone. And I have 87 text <laughs> messages. I had signed two weeks earlier with the Eagles. And I was like going to be this guy that rushed, you know, started opposite Brandon Graham, you know, probably all this stuff, I'm presuming. Um, but that wasn't how it went because they picked Derek Barnett in the first round. So, you know, it's like that night was one of the most anxiety ridden nights of my life. I'm in Europe. I don't like traveling. I'm alone. I'm awake in the middle of the night. That's never good. My whole career just changed probably because this is it for me, right? So I was very pissed off and frustrated. But it, what turned out to be was me and Derek turned out to be best buddies. The whole experience uh, experiment worked out. And uh, everybody complimented each other well. So like the little lesson there is you never know. And, uh, and anytime you sign with a team or commit to a team, you're taking your life in your hands because coaches don't always tell you the truth. And personnel people don't either. That's too bad that I didn't go to Germany with you because I'm huge in Oberbeugen and also Wenglingen. I, I went you. over there. No, I went over there. I, I, I sang in a choir for like two weeks, traveling choir. Hold on. Yeah. I don't, you don't get to move on. Have you ever told this story? I don't think so. Um, yeah. No, I'm classically trained. A lot of people don't know that. Evidently, uh, nearly everybody doesn't know that. This is, the, this is the age gap between me and, and the other dudes because you're like, wait, and you'd be like, Rasilla's been around for 10 more years. So there's so the joke stuff on there. Ryan, the college football coach joke before we, because you, you alluded to that, was that you're Mike Gundy because of the OAN shirt and that you <laughs> be 40. So I got the conservative joke in there and the, and the, uh, and the age joke in there and one fell slip. Yeah, that's, that, that worked out. But no, I like Germany. Germany was great. I was there. Heidelberg is, is where it's at. Stuttgart was a little weird for us, you know, a little edgier than like hipsters. Um, no, nah, like punks, punks, ruffians, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. like yeah. dirty bathrooms and graffiti in the bathrooms and a bunch of bumper stickers, like the back of a metal show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not, it wasn't dangerous. We were only there during the day and it definitely wasn't dangerous. Like some, it was it was kind of chaotic actually because we were there in high school and I know this sounds nuts but when I was in high school like joining the choir was actually a cool thing and we were all into it right. and everybody used to laugh about how deep my voice was because I weighed like 160 pounds and we went over there and we got into trouble like the first night because everybody went out as hard we went out like european movie hard beer fest yeah but the the crazy thing is we were done we were done with school that was the worst thing for them because we were now done with school and then i was going to vermont so i was already out like i'd already taken my classes i was at, but they were like hey if you guys screw around like you might not walk you might not graduate and we're like yep see ya no problem so then everybody got into trouble because all the host parents were complaining that this crew and kids from martha's vineyard did not they were not afraid and 
we had this like all sit down and they're like, you guys are screwing up. You're making Americans look bad, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and we're getting scolded. And, um, from that point on, like, it was like, oh, you know, you guys ruined it. You ruined it. You, you stayed out too late. We stayed on some little dive oh, bar town. I ruined the field trip once. Yeah, right, uh, right. But we're in Germany. I, yeah, no, I ruined one in Williamsburg, Colonial Williamsburg. Um, <laughs> How old were you? I was in sixth grade. They took us on our first big field trip in sixth grade to Colonial Williamsburg to see the, the blacksmiths and all the exciting uh, <laughs> recreations of what was going on back in the day there blacksmiths and, were huge back then they were huge it was a great career huge. you couldn't get anything done without a blacksmith anyways i was in the holiday inn or it was some sort of hotel that had um you know uh order and movie capabilities and just a bunch of sixth graders and we all had roommates and I found a movie that was on called Jade. Do you remember this movie? Yeah, I do remember Jade. It's basically like for a sixth grader, it was porn. <laughs> and I was running up and down the halls telling everybody to turn on Jade <laughs> at like 11 <laughs> o'clock at night, knocking on people's doors. The scene is happening. And uh, they found out the next day. And needless to say, there was never another Williamsburg trip. And it was my fault. Because so, of Jade? Because you told people Jade was on? They had, I was always a scapegoat, man. I was always the kid you're big at my private yeah. school. Yeah, that happened to me in college. I was like, I got blamed for everything Jade. all the time. Like sometimes stuff would happen. I'd be like, you guys picked me. Like there was one night, a bunch of guys were waiting for me in my house and my idiot roommate let them in. So I get off a bartending shift at three in the morning and I have like three drunk guys from my next school over waiting to kick my ass. And I was just like, why? Who let these guys in? And now I'm more mad at my roommate than the guys waiting for me. And then, you know, we we hashed it out. And then listen. You know, one of the, one of the guys keyed my truck like a week later. I was Ooh. like, all right, whatever. Ooh. Well, you know, we had some rust. You know, the Toyota, those pickups with the bed in the back, the 88, they rusted yeah. out pretty bad. So it's like, it would be like spitting on a sidewalk, you know, like yeah, it's, not, it's, it's not that big of a it's deal. It's dirty anyways. I, yeah. um, man, I didn't know you went through that. I, I was an oldest, I was the oldest child. So I got blamed for everything in my house. So when I got to school and all the uppity private school teachers blamed me for everything uh, because I was the biggest you know, kid in the class. And I look like a meathead and Tommy uh, Bowden syndrome. It was, well, it was just, what'd you say? It was like the Tommy Bowden thing. You know, it was like the Tommy, you're Bowden. getting a free pass through life. So school was just going to make sure that they didn't they were like, we can't give this kid a free pass. Uh, and we don't like football players. So, uh, and I wasn't even good at football in sixth grade. So they were just pigeonholing me. Yeah. I was always the, I was always a scapegoat my whole life. All right. Let's talk some football. Um, I'll get back to that. By the way, in Germany, just to finish that story off there a little bit, my host family had an older son who may or may not have been in a motorcycle gang. So he would pick me up after the events and then I would just go out with him. And then he slowly, we started picking up more and more buddies from the group. So we're like, no, no, we're good. Our parents are here. We're going to go with Ryan. And then it would be like this crew of guys. It was nuts because then you one were in of my a friends gang briefly in Germany for about two years or two weeks. Excuse me. You were an intern. Weeks. You were an intern at a motorcycle <laughs> gang in Germany. Yeah, I'd have benefits. I'd have benefits, yeah, but no. they were like, here's a hat. So yeah. you're good to go. No health care. Uh, let's talk Aaron Rodgers and the Rams. Mm-hmm. You faced Rodgers four times. When I said that to you last night, did you remember four times? Because they yeah, weren't great I mean, games. I mean, uh, I blacked I'm not out. putting you on the spot. I yeah. blacked out most of them. We played there in, um, in I want to say 2000 and maybe 10 uh, or 11, rather. This uh, isn't the quiz. I feel like no, I'm, it's I'm not, making but it. I, but I'm just giving you an example of why I blacked it out. 
you know, you go there, you get hard counted to death. You, you, you watch him hit shots all day long. The, the amateur cheerleaders run out on the field in Green Bay and dance and Aaron's smirking at you for 60 minutes and you hear the don't, 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 go, pack, go. Like older dudes would tell you, when you get here, it's going to be the most annoying thing in the world because they're going to play it nonstop because he's going to hit deep balls all day. And then it turns out to be true. That's the experience of playing Lambeau Field. I blacked out most of it. What makes him uh, help us understand? Yes, we know he's good. I think it's still maybe the most talented arm I've seen. Mahomes is challenging that in a different way. But as far as pure velocity and rip on throws, especially when the conditions, I don't think I'd put anybody ahead of Rodgers. The hard count stuff, he knows the defensive looks, all these different. But what's something that maybe we don't get from the outside that you realize as a defensive end where you're like, this is like something about him that, that helps us understand how great he is? Well, number one, you asked me, we were talking about this was like, you can't blitz him. So if his numbers against the blitz this year are incredible. You just, so, just like, don't bother. Okay. So that eliminates heating him up and speeding his shot clock up that way. And as a defensive lineman, when you go into that game, uh, the onus is always going to be on you. We have to get pressure with four. I don't care how bad our DBs are. I don't care how bad we botch personnel on the back end. I don't care how bad our scheme is. If you guys get blocked this week, we're going to lose. And it's like, thanks. Um, <laughs> and one of the hardest things about that is you mentioned the hard count. You know, I've jumped off offsides against Aaron a couple times. And uh, it's not like jumping offsides against run-of-the-mill quarterback where in that moment where you're like, oh, shit, and you're thinking about being an idiot and all that stuff, generally that's worth five yards or 12 yards, 12 yard out for most guys. The minute you jump offsides with Aaron, your body goes from, oh, let me look not so stupid. Let me stop running to, I got to run because you got to finish the snap. This free play could be a touchdown. And it usually was a 50 yarder to Jordy Nelson. So there was like the click in your brain telling you, keep rushing. You know, like you have to finish the play. I don't care if you got to hit him, you know, and one of the most awkward things is getting drawn off and continuing your rush. So there's that. And then you don't want to be early. So you're, you spend the whole game late off the ball getting yelled at you're late off the ball you're late off the ball well coach i've been off sides twice you know what i mean like that's gonna happen so there's the there, there's the false start there there's the offside stuff and then there's the danger of letting him outside the pocket you know as a d lineman again it's really hard get home don't be early and rush him perfectly in a cage that's really hard to do he's got a lot of mahomes in him he'll drift to the right and again that's a 15-yard out for a lot of guys who are pretty good. For him, it's 60. Um, and he's got – it's like – I would almost say he's like Mahomes with a stronger arm. You said something about the offsides. Am I nuts? But I feel like when I was younger, you had the opportunity to get back on sides. And now teams are not even snapping the football. And sometimes the offensive lineman gets up and touches the defensive lineman so that therefore you yep. can have like neutral zone or encroachment or whatever. But I feel like no one on defense, whenever they take a step over, is ever allowed to like reestablish themselves. What happened to that? Am I am I fucking losing my mind well, that's that, that why used to be normal? That's, no, that's why they're touching dudes. Like, yeah, I, but you it know, gets like, called. It gets called. What guys will just stand up and then point, and then it's offsides. And I'm like, wait, now we don't even have the. It's been going on for a couple of years, but I feel yeah. like no one's ever getting back on sides now. Once you well, jump it's over, then it's because, over. Because it's been free play, and one of the guys who has authored the importance of the free play in the NFL in this generation has been Aaron Rodgers. So like 
you know, free play, everybody should take it, right? But Mitch Trubisky taking it's not scary anywhere near as much. Like, you know, in Chicago this year, you get a free play, you might get a, a three-yard crosser in the dirt or something with Aaron. It's just so everybody wants to take advantage of those situations. Like last week you watched, and it's also a chance for an alignment to smack the shit out of a guy that you probably don't want to smack the shit out of the other 59 minutes of the game. Like last week I saw somebody uh, smack the shit out of Hakeem Nix, bro. Hakeem Nix in, in his stance. Um, and I was like, damn, he probably is mad about that, but he can't do anything about it because, you know, like he jumped off sides and that's part of the game. So for O'Lyman, they get like a major like hard on about, you know, getting that <laughs> opportunity to just kind of smack you across your your face mask and, and you can't really be mad about it. So it's frustrating. And another thing is I've been in situations before where Kendall Langford jumped off sides inside and your job as a defensive lineman, if you're an attack defense is, Never late, never late, key movement. If you get movement inside you, you go. So a lot of times you'll jump because somebody else jumped and you'll get blamed with that person. So there's also- Because you're like, on the outside too, especially. Well, yeah, you'll get blamed. You, you might get flagged and all the fans think you jumped off sides or your coach is yelling at both of you when really Kendall was a split second. And you can tell I remember a, a specific situation. Clearly. In 2012, one of the worst games of my life, I had one pressure, not just because Brian Balaga is good, but because- you're afraid of rushing Aaron the same way you're afraid of rushing anybody else. So you don't take the chances you take with other people because the fear of God is instilled in you that if you spin inside and he launches the ball on the right hash 50 yards down the field, everybody's looking at you. Now, we've talked a little bit about the Rams defensive coordinator, Staley, and at least the way it was explained to me, like some of the stuff they're doing, but it looks basic to start. And reading through it and looking at it and this is this is not like an all 22 guy over here so uh correct anything that could sound off but that they, no but that they start so much of it in cover two and then move to these different coverages like their base they're more cover two than anybody else but it's like okay but it's not really that it's these different drops they'll split the field but the key is is that they can do some different stuff because of Donald, obviously, and yeah. the fact that they can have Ramsey play press on one side yep. and feel like they're going to win every time and then play some other combination of looks of the other way. So what when I was looking at some of the stuff, it was, okay, but Rodgers can is as equipped as anyone at getting you to show. So how does how does that work where it's like, hey, we're disguising, we're disguising. It's like, yeah, but we stopped disguising stuff because Rodgers is fucking with us on the snap and our guys are drifting into what we're actually – we're not always – we're showing cover two to start, but he's getting us to drift into our actual coverage and he's figuring it out when we disguise it against other guys so much better. Number one, you're right about the Rams and they have the luxury of, of playing a bunch of different things out of a two-shell or whatever because their guys are so good. I mean, they're the best secondary in the league. Um, also you can, you can stop the run with four there. So that gives them a lot of liberties that other teams don't have, um, which is a huge key because rushing coverage and also run, run fits and coverage make a big difference. And when I played, I didn't pay so much attention to what was going on behind me. I paid attention to, you know, where was the down safety, that sort of thing. Who's going to be fitting outside or inside of me, that sort of thing. But it wasn't like, Hey, what car are you guys in like a three shell or that sort of thing? It was just, it really is irrelevant to you, isn't it? Well, you brought it, this up, and it's it's actually so fascinating to us because it actually makes sense. No, I mean, like, for them, it's relevant. Who do you have in front of you? And for us, it's relevant. Who do you have behind you? And that changes the way you rush. It changes the way you you play you play the run. You might take less or more chances. Jalen Ramsey is a fucking animal in the run game. The reason I love him so much 
is not just because he has great ball skills and he's one of the, the best corners of our generation, period. He does take chances and that sort of thing. So does Marcus Peters, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. But he plays the run. You know, the guy I just mentioned, Marcus Peters, how many times do you see him suplexing anybody uh, when he's got a shot at a running back in space or a wide receiver? Now, to answer your question, how do they get – like, there's this whole dance, to my point earlier, that I'm not involved in. During the week, we're worried about rush and, and, and where we fit in the rush lanes and that sort of thing. But there are guys in other rooms that are doing this chess match all week. The way a quarterback is going to eliminate things uh, is key. Like, I'm eliminating certain coverages based on alignments. Um, and it's like a process that they go through pre-snap. So the game, the dance is – we're not going to fool Aaron Rodgers. We never will. What we want to do is make them take more time post-snap to identify um, one of the many options that we're giving him. And that gives us a split second to rush. So the way that he identifies that sort of thing, and I think he'll take the whole play clock this weekend. I think this is like a big week that you're going to see like a huge chess match, which is exciting if you like the back-end stuff and Aaron versus Staley and all that stuff. The motion. Green Bay never motion uh, as much with McCarthy. And now, you know, like motion's all the rage to identify coverage and that sort of thing and, and give you tells pre-snap. Um, but also, you're talking about last year under LaFleur, they didn't motion either. So another reason that the Packers have taken this big step, I think, is that Rodgers has even more to look at before the snap. And he never had that his whole life. So the motion stuff is huge. That also fucks up run fronts, dude. Like, if I see a jet motion, I'm slowing down. Like, it's in my head. I'm not going to be as aggressive. I'm like, okay, are we getting a jet sweep? Is there going to be somebody that's going to – is the tackle going to block down? Am I going to get, like, some sort of exotic look? Like, a, am I going to get a crunch block? That sort of thing. It does slow the run game down, too. So, I think the motion and the hard count as well. How many times do you see guys showing their, their pressures and their blitzes because Aaron's hard count is like a fucking Madden voiceover? I mean, dude's just like up to the line shuffle. And that's how he figures people out. And that's why I think the Rams are meeting on tendencies all week on when does he motion? When, when is the hard count coming? So it's like a preemptive dance before the dance. And then Sunday, it's going to be the whole play clock. You just can't look inside at the ball off the center. You just like, you, you know, you're supposed to, but you just can't do it. It's not possible that you're only going to do that. Yeah. I, listen, it's it's really hard to do. You would do it in pass rush situations. Like I would look in at the ball because if I'm in a three-point stance, that's my best key. Or the tackle. If the tackle's early, because a lot of tackles are early. Um, but a lot of times on third down, you'd stand up because your quarterback and shotgun's going to give you a big key. Like it could be his hands. It could be something else. But in the run game, yeah, don't get caught just looking at the ball against some of these offenses now. I mean, there's so much to see. And you might be a young player and you might want to ignore that stuff. But if you're older and you're more experienced, you might want to see all that stuff too. But players can be slowed down by motion shifts. Um, hard counts, obviously, are going to tell too. Okay, Buffalo last year defensively, I felt like you were very early on when we were doing the show where you were like, dude, that Buffalo defense. And then I think it kind of had a bit of a carryover because they're a better team, but they're a better team because of Josh Allen. The defense had slipped. Um, but it finished stronger. There's some stuff there where you look against the Colts. You know, I don't know if it's score. I don't know if it's getting worn down. I don't know if their edges, edge guys are an issue. 
But what have you seen from Buffalo defensively and how that plays out to a unique matchup, obviously, with a guy like Lamar? Well, I worry, I worry about them on the perimeter. I mean, like, if you watch... So I think this game's going to come down to red zone for, for the Bills. I think that the, uh, the Ravens are going to move the ball. I mean... You think they could just run the ball? Like, even though they didn't move the ball against a bad defense in Tennessee, you actually like this matchup better for them? I, I think it's going to be it's – it's a wash. It's one of these things, like, I can't tell you who they're going to explode for 300 yards against. Like, it, it made no sense to me that – you know, it made sense last year when they, when they, when they heated up uh, New England in the run game because those second-level guys are all 250-pounders, and that's, like, a bad matchup. You get them running sideways, then you go downhill. Last year was, like, Hightower, Vanoy, all those big guys they like there. The conundrum with them is like, and they talked about it in the in the broadcast last week. How much do you want to be in sub? How much do you want to be in big people? Because they can really hurt you in both ways. And um, I think they're going to be able to get on the perimeter and run the football, even though the Bills have gotten better throughout the year. Since week twelve, they've given up like eighteen points a game. Before that, it was like twenty six, and all year it was like, yeah. what's going on with these guys? They were so good last year in so many ways and they were really sound they didn't give things up in front of them like what changed and really i think the linebackers being banged up is the biggest thing in the middle of the year they've gotten that that situation rectified but they weren't great in the red zone all year long they were kind of bottom third last week they gave up a ton of yards but they only gave up 24 points to an offense that was very efficient now how much of that was the colts doing how much of that is them stiffening up on their own side of the 50 and in the red zone? And I think with Lamar, who's been very good um, in the red zone, are you going to get that guy? Or are you going to get the guy that first possession they got down there last week where he, uh, he almost throws a pick to Malcolm Butler, takes a sack, that sort of thing? I think the Bills have to be very good in the red zone. I think they have to be very good on first down. Because the Titans were in that game the whole first half because they were good on first down. The second half, started to get the ball in the perimeter. Hollywood Brown got more touches. They used the pass game as their run game some. And then obviously there's Lamar. So I just think if they can stiffen up and keep the points down, they could give up a lot of yards and win this game. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock, hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first, you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now, by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call? Old school guy, probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time. Said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's french fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a french fry from McDonald's. 
unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. Our two more games. We've spent some time. We did some on your podcast about like New Orleans and Tampa. And one of the stats I always look look at is that variant stuff. And it makes sense that both of these yeah. teams have some really weird variance numbers, which mean bad. Um, and it's it's better than just having no variance because you're always terrible in every aspect of, of the game. Right. But Tampa has games defensively where you look at the personnel, you like how aggressive they are. I thought the way they came out against even Washington, okay, look, they're going for Heineke here. They're going to light him up. And then he settled into it really nicely. Like they actually, I'm not, I'm not telling you like I was worried about Washington against Tampa in that spot, but it wasn't a disaster for him against a still personnel with Tampa that I like. So between New Orleans and Tampa, where I think New Orleans we've talked a little bit about, I can't separate some of the discussions and just the text thread thing about New Orleans. I like the front, maybe. Do I like the secondary? I like the safeties. Do I like the corners? Just which defense do you like better between those two teams? Well, I think the interesting thing about this, these two groups right now is you got one guy who was instrumental in New Orleans who's not there right now, and that's Quan. And we talked about that the other day on my pod was, you know, you've got Quan going in New Orleans who, who helped them so much in the middle of the field. Now, I don't care what anybody says. That guy helped them a great deal down the stretch. And Chicago wasn't a week off, but we, we really don't know yet how that looks for them. And then on the other side of things, Devin White wasn't out there on the field. Um, Devin White is a heat-seeking missile and just gives that defense such an element of speed. You know, you, you, you mentioned Heineke and you mentioned him being able to, to run and, and got out of trouble like that play in the red zone, that iconic Heineke play at the pylon. Just having that extra element of speed on the field um, in situations like that is great. Um, also, though, I think if you're looking at New Orleans uh, and, and, and you're the Bucks, I thought your game plan was dog shit. And that was well, that was a, a covered topic after the second week. If I'm playing Drew Brees, I want to heat you up in the middle, just like Tom Brady. You know, I know some people hate this cliche, but if you can get pressure in the middle, Steve hates this cliche. I hate it too, by the way, just because it's, it's always like, but yeah, true. but it, I mean, or then everybody do it, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't happen, but go ahead. I'm okay, sorry. But like, like, who, but that, which quarterbacks like pressure in the middle? Okay. But th that's the other side of it too. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, but these three guys are awesome when they get pressure up the middle. Nobody does. So what does it mean? Well, some sorry. quarterbacks are more athletic than others. You're just looking at one, these two quarterbacks are the guys that cannot move. So like naturally, if you're going to choose to strategically heat them up, you do it in the middle. I don't like edge pressure against these guys. I just don't. Um, the thing about this game that is so different for Tampa, not to bounce around, is that Gronk is a totally different player than he was the first two times these teams met. He looks like he's got his feet under him a lot more, his cinder blocks, because that's what it looked like the first month of the season. <laughs> and they're using him, and he's blocking his ass off. I mean, look Yeah, at they're the not targeting him. No, um, but they're I, using him in yeah. so many different ways. I mean, look at the way he's, he blocked last week. You know, we made such a big deal about that group. Uh, they barely sniffed him. And it wasn't because Brady rushed through his progression. He actually was snapped to throw 2.7. So that offensive line is really good. And you got a tight end who can block. And AB has kind of come around. So these are different. You know, we, we talked about it all year. Brady is a new experiment. No continuity. This is an opportunity for them to grow through the year. And, and the Saints are a finished product the minute you kick off. So I don't think anybody's shocked that they, A, won the division or looked good against them for two, two weeks. Now, the second one looked a lot worse. I think this one's going to be a lot closer because of all the things I just mentioned. 
how frustrating is it playing edge, you know, as a pass rush guy against somebody like Breeze who just isn't taking shots down the field? So what, like, you know, even if he's not great or even if you like your matchup, you're like, the ball's out so quick every time. I and mean, we saw it with Roethlisberger a little bit. What's that like for your role? It's tough, man, because you start pressing. You start doing stupid shit when you play a quarterback like that. And it, I would say it's more so like a Brady at this point. Um, and it's more about like drop target. And that plays into, sorry, again, the middle pressure. Like Brady has always been a pocket climber. Drew, I don't feel like he'll climb the pocket, but he doesn't see the field as well because of his height, obviously. So you might catch him deep on a play action um, or you might catch him drifting, to, you know, like padding and drifting. Like Brady's always going to want to move up in the pocket. And so I think one of the, one of the biggest things is what I just said to you is not, put so, not putting so much pressure on yourself to make the big play. It's just to continue to have pocket pressing rushes. Um, because if I run the horn at 11 yards out of frustration and my tackle, like Fletcher Cox, blows up the guard, I waste his rush because there's nobody to force Brady or Breeze into him. So I just think avoiding frustration is one of the biggest things when guys, and also abandoning certain types of rushes that take forever. Get to it. You know what I mean? You can't be dancing at the line. So it sounds like you like Tampa. I do like Tampa. Okay. All right. Last one. Chiefs. How bad would their defense have to be for you to actually pick against them? I would pick against them if they played the, the Packers right now. No I kidding. Would, yeah. I mean, do you think it's that different? I mean, do, do you think it like, what do you think they make the line in that game if they played in the Super Bowl? I think it would be like two and a half Kansas City. I'm not saying you're wrong at all. I, yeah. I'm, I'll admit, I'll freely admit, like Mahomes just blinds me to like, well, if he wants to beat you, he's just going to beat you. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. And that's not true. That's just not the way the game is played. Why does he make it so team. close lately? I mean, like, that's my thing is, you know, they've, they've, they've won games by an average of like four points a game the second half of the season. Uh, talk about all the close calls. Either they're bored or people actually can play with these guys. And <laughs> I know it's a great point because we, we get so enamored with the, with the quarterback, right? Like the quarterback is just so brilliant and he makes such unbelievable plays. And another thing that you, know, you talk about being a rusher and playing them, it's the same thing with green Bay. Those guys are the two best groups that play basketball on extended plays. Um, you know, that scramble drill in, in green Bay and in Kansas city is ridiculous. So, I, I actually think I actually think this game, if if Cleveland's guys are healthy up front and they can run the football, I know that the I've said before the um the formula to beating Kansas City is not just playing keep away. Uh it's actually scoring with them. They can hang in there because the way Kansas City sleepwalks, um, especially early off a of bye, we saw what happened last year. Who did you like better up 24 to 3 or whatever it was last year in the in the divisional round? Would you like Houston without a run game uh, and Bill O'Brien coaching or Kevin Stefanski uh, in that run game if they got up early in this game? And not that they're going to get up 24 to 3. Right. I get your point. Yeah, Stefanski's to, the answer. If they find a way to jump them, I don't hate their, you know, I don't hate their chances. Now, the line's like 10. I probably wouldn't bet Kansas City here. I'll look back at the losses here, though, or excuse me, the close wins that, that um, like Tampa was, hey, we're up big early. 
yeah, okay, now it's a three-point game. Um, I know the score is the score, and if, if Tampa finds a way to pull that one out, it's like, hey, we're not going to apologize for a win here. But when things were even, it looked like Kansas City. It wasn't even close. The Broncos game is weird because the Broncos actually turned it over twice in that one, and they still only won by a score. Miami Broncos could have won, won that game. Miami right. was a blowout. They, Miami was a blowout. It says six points. It wasn't. It wasn't that at all. The Saints game they were up on them, and then the Saints made a late charge on that. So I feel like of these games that are close wins, they were in control of Tampa, Miami, the Saints. The Falcons actually gave them a game. And, Falcons and gave them right. a game big time. Yeah, Fal- Falcons gave them a game. Uh, Chiefs, Dolphins, they jumped them. Uh, Chiefs, Bucks, they jumped them. The Broncos was a game. The Panthers was a game. Although they were in control, you know, Christian McCaffrey, a dynamic back like that, kind of, I mean, Teddy played well that game too. I mean, they were in that game the whole time. I think they won by like two points. And then Chiefs, Raiders, uh, you know, Chiefs, I mean, they, they've won a lot. Chiefs, Raiders, part one. Chiefs, Patriots, you'll never forget the Brian Hoyer Mahomes uh, showdown. These games were all closer than you liked them. I'll never forget it. You'll never for who can. And I think one of the biggest things that like a cliche is, I don't want to say it's a cliche. There's, there's this, there's always like this, well, they haven't played anybody. They haven't been tested and a team will cruise into the playoffs. Is that so I, sometimes I can't judge. Is it better if a team's been tested every week and they've won close or is it better if they've blown everybody out? I think a balance would be nice, and the Chiefs just haven't had as much of a balance uh, the second half of the season as I like. All fair, all fair. But uh, Cleveland, that game was out of control early. Yeah. But then in a weird way, there were, there was like a turnover possession aware where Pittsburgh would like back in it, even though it, it, it seemed preposterous considering it's 28 nothing that first quarter. I mean, the first snap, the whole thing, it's like, okay. Was there anything in there in a Cleveland win where you're worried about their defense? Or is that just not fair because you're up and you're just not as dialed in defensively? Like, did, is there any takeaway from that that's actually concerning despite the fact that Cleveland pulls off this miraculous win uh, without the staff, nobody was picking them except yeah. for Browns fans. So it's a great win, but I'm wondering if there's some some scary signs in there if you just don't worry about any of it. Absolutely. They, but they do get some guys back in the secondary, so that's great. Um, you know, I it's one of those things because when the Ravens got their quote-unquote marquee, you know, answer to the big game question, it was scoring a bunch of points on Cleveland. The first thing I said was, it's Cleveland. It's Cleveland's defense. And what's so crazy about Cleveland's defense is you've got a defensive player of the year candidate. And he is undoubtedly deserving of being a defensive player of the year candidate. Um, But the defense hasn't elevated. So really, if he wasn't there, how scary bad could they be on any given week? And talking uh, Denzel Ward. Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, that goes to show. I, 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 I didn't learn anything new about them. I know that to beat the Chiefs, they're going to have to score like 35, 40 points. I just, I, I know that. And Miles Garrett has to have like a game wrecking type game. We've talked about Pat Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes, sorry. And um, I know it's just, I, I, I'm a big name shortener. I t- did I tell you about the time we had M- Matthew McConaughey on and I called him Matt off the rip? I did the same thing. He stopped me. Live interview. Go say, Ryan. Just want to let you know my mother named me Matthew, and uh, I go by Matthew. 
And I was like, oh, and you feel like such a dick. Cause you're I like, I had, I, had I had one chance to show McConaughey how cool I was and I fucked it up. I even, I think I said the name of his movie wrong once and he corrected me. He was like, yeah, right. You know, uh, killer Joe, killer Joe. I'm not great and at I was like, people on things that they say incorrectly about me. Like I'll have a whole conversation with somebody calling me Jake and I'm just like, you know what? I'm just, the sooner this can be over, it's, but Matthew is really good at being like, really friendly, really confidently, that is not the case, sir. And can we get on with the interview? Uh, and that was tough for me. I remember, actually, I did text you after that. Text you, and I said, hey, happened to me. Did the same thing, corrected me on the air. Said my mother, my mother named me Matt. And I was just like, God damn it. God, the mother like, thing I, too, I was, like, God. Yeah, I was like, this is the worst. But then, total rebound. McConaughey's the most famous person to ever compliment anything we did. Because I was saying goodbye, like, okay, thanks, man. He goes, oh, oh hey, man, hey. Before you let me go, I just want to say something, something you and Scott did. And I was like, oh, my God. And he referenced something we said about a UConn player. And he goes, that's why I like you guys. And I was like, holy shit. And then when I saw him on the sideline in Austin, you know, he just tried to be like, how's this going to go? I was like, Matthew. And he turns kind of like, whatever. And then he did a, oh, yeah. And he's like, yeah, what's up? You. Big, you. Yeah, what's up? What's up, big fella? Big and fella. Stan, yeah, and it's big fella. Stan for Steve. Because when you're, you know, guys love it. Guys, if, for people out there that want to learn how to make people feel better about themselves, if it's a skinny guy, you'd be like, what's up, big guy? <laughs> well, that's good because I call a lot of people big guy. I, but no, pa Patrick, like if you if you can get him off his spot, which you can do now, he'll drift off his spot. Like we talk about why, okay, the tackles are playing terribly. A lot of the times, like the sacks against the Saints late, like when Trey Hendrickson just crushed him and it was a sandwich, that's like an 11-yard drop target. Okay, so you know, there's, there's something to your offensive line getting beat. And part of that could, could be because the middle's caved in, but also there's something to it. Like if the quarterback just has a habit of drifting, which he does, an edge rusher can have a really good day. A guy who can rush with speed and power miles has to have like a game wrecking day for them to win this game. Um, one thing I noticed last week was just how valuable, and it's not like I didn't know this before, but Jarvis Landry doesn't get enough credit. Like, at all in you know, a league full of superstar wide receivers. I think maybe because, you know, sometimes he does a lot of his work inside. Holy shit. I mean, if they did not have him on the field, they don't win that game. Those conversions they got out of him. Now, granted, I don't know why you have like Spillane covering him on fourth and three <laughs> or whatever it was, but like it was painful because the minute anytime Baker has the ball for more than two and a half, three seconds, that guy's finding a way to get open. And, uh, I just think, yeah, I don't know why it's relevant, but I just, I really love Jarvis Landry. I don't think he gets enough credit. Uh, and he's a superstar still, like a fringe, I don't know, he's a star, not a superstar, but he's, he still doesn't get talked about enough. He got lost, I would say, in the shuffle of all the names they added, and Odell's going to overshadow anyone on the other side as a receiver. Um, you know, there's an Odell part of this that's was continuing topic of like, hey, does he actually make you better? There's numbers that say absolutely not. I'm not sure I always buy those things. You're like, you still have to deal with this guy who's a really tough matchup. Um, and yet, only and sometimes knows. only you're right. You're it's a great point because even if you're looking at just the yards and QB rating and all that stuff, I mean, so many times, especially in football with 16 games, you're like, you know why they're better this half because the schedule was way fucking easier. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not adjustments. It's not getting anybody. And then you're right, too. Sometimes it's just, hey, we didn't have this guy for six games, and now we have him, and that's it. it, it it's, it's, it's actually a lot of times, and you would agree with me, it's way more simple than this, oh, they schemed, and they're doing more motion now, and now they're, you know, they have way more 11 personnel instead of 21 personnel. 
I almost I almost did this to somebody who was like a explain it to everybody, but it was I'm surprised they're doing this with 21 personnel. And I was like, oh my God, it's only eleven people on a team. Well, <laughs> so no, no. I you just gotta be careful I, with those numbers, dude. You know, like I well, I get the next gen stats every week, right? So like, I love looking at it all. I mean, because there's some great stuff in there. Listen, the Packers game, you to bounce back for a second, like you talk about play action, like that's been something that I've seen some people talking about this week. Well, the Rams are really bad at, at play action pass on the back end. They're going to give up some points. The Packers are good. But then there's a, a question of, do you really want Rodgers turning his back to Aaron Donald, who converts from run to pass fashion anybody they've played? Do you really want him turning his back to Leonard Floyd and setting at nine, who's been running the hump and getting a bunch of sacks? Like... And also, a lot of these numbers that they accumulated over the year, 20 touchdowns, no, no interceptions. Yes, I get the thing, too, here. Passer rating way up. Uh, all that stuff. Rams give up 4.4 yards of separation. All that stuff sounds good. But he also had a left tackle that he trusted a lot throughout most of the year. So things change in the playoffs. That play action stuff sounds good. Sometimes the 11 personnel, the 21. But, like, every matchup is different. Yeah, cool NFL Twitter, I've learned. you can never run it on first down or you should be shot. And then yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's, I mean, you want to talk about an asshole convention. You're like, Oh, the door's over. You ran on a first down. Oh yeah. yeah just, just fuck out of here, man. You get the scarlet letter. Um, <laughs> and I'm, look, I'm not saying like the, one of the dumbest things I remember like being a kid, be like, everybody's so amped. You're right out of the tunnel. Why the power eye fullback handoff to start the game to like set a tone? Like, mm -hmm. all right, you, you gained an inch. Like, it doesn't work. Everybody's so juiced up. It's the defense is as fresh as ever going to be. Be like, let's run it right at him and just set a tone. And be like, okay, so that play was wasted. So yeah, some of the the passing on first down stuff, I'm I'm all for the numbers bear it. But I just every now and then, there's not enough specific game personnel. Like there's just so many times that the two point conversion is another one. It's like, oh, the card says this. You'd be like, okay, but what does the card say about who you are? What does the card say about you know? So anyway, go ahead. I didn't like the Frank Reich two point conversion try in the second half. Like I had no problem with um, I had I had no problem with them uh, going for it in the in in the first half. That was like one of the big things last week. Um, and I actually didn't have a problem with the toss call because in actuality, that's supposed to be the right call against man. Um, and by the way, their, their edge guy blew, there was no edge to be set. He was incredible. He was already behind the guy that was supposed to be blocking him. Sometimes they make a better play and it was a yeah, great well, they play had by an the extra man too, because right. he was, he was supposed to motion, you know, they, they went with motion and, and they switched the motion or whatever it was, but, but nine times out of 10, that's the right call. Suffice to say, I mean, like shoddy just got fired in Seattle, you know, and you can't help but think like, if you look around that division, you're either air raid or you're one of these McVeigh Army guys, uh, or you're Shanahan, who it's like it's like pre-snap motion, it's dynamic stuff, it's air raid. And Shoddy was just like, I'm just an offensive coordinator. Like I might, you know, like you, it's almost like now people are afraid to do basic shit because it'd be so embarrassing if your basic shit didn't work. No, that's a great call. It's like anybody who's taken a college gig, like you can't show up and be like, you know, we just want to we want to run a lot of inside stuff. Not even that. The know, options that fun. Would be exotic. I mean, like, options sick with sick athletes. Like I'd sign up for uh, that '90s, you know, Nebraska shit or the '80s Oklahoma stuff. I'd love to see that again. Somebody just if going. Somebody out there ran and doing the it. option in the NFL. You would see like twenty five percent less defensive players signing in division there. 
Um, <laughs> I just like if I don't care. Imagine if, playing Navy every week. They're twice <laughs> a year. I mean, no, but I'm just, you know. No, I mean, no. If you were in another thing is like imagine. That's playing, I, I'm just talking about anyone signing for any of the it'd teams. It'd be brutal. In the division. Right. It'd be brutal. Like if you're in that division and you're like, okay, I get paid on sacks and I want like, or I just want to like enjoy playing football and not have my shins taken out for three hours. I'm literally going to avoid that division. <laughs> I'm avoiding it. I want to. Uh, I, you, you stumbled on something here that I, I think is interesting. I don't know if anybody's ever done this. Please source us. Um, not. Credit us. Is the McVeigh army the least intimidating of all the armies? Like if you took all the McVeigh coaching tree guys and put them in a, yeah, and you, it was a warrior style like gang and everybody's showing up to the gang convention in Central Park and then it's just fucking on. I'd be like, look, we'll get to them later. They're, I'm not even remotely worried about Yeah, them. dude, like, and and <laughs> nobody here is calling any dudes out specifically but i i think the the belichick army has some sleepers man you got vrabel who's not necessarily like a coaching tree guy you've got Flores, um, i bet you is Flores, a right who's a, who's yeah beef okay give me some give me some brian flores stuff i don't, because I don't any, there's not anything out there give me something good he's on just him. not he's just not full of shit i like i like beef flow man like he's never been full of shit like he's never been big time you he always told me been, i would love him so, you would love him. Yeah. He's just like, he's a dude, man. He's he's not. There's no what's problem. up with this music though? Yeah, the the this the selection in in practice. Um, what was he playing? Like little Bell Biv DeVoe, and it just was. It's not the right tone well, setter. He played a little too much Jay Z in training camp. That was the one blemish on his record, in my opinion. That was just a poor, that was a poor choice considering the context with with Kenny Stills and whatnot. But. um I, Bioma, who we talked about the other day, is is a, a unit. He was, yeah, he was there. He was in New England. Jed Fish, now with Arizona. Crafty, quick hands. We're, we're forgetting like Romeo Cornell, who's probably seen a lot. Oh, he's been around. Dante Scarnecki will stab you. He's For working sure. on... He's got shanks all over his sweatpants. He's. I mean, so that tree is hard to com contend with. And I know we're forgetting one... Like, we're we're forgetting somebody... Um, I know from well, the Andy Reid tree. I don't know. I don't think those guys want to fight. No, I mean, like, listen, Doug Peterson is a big guy now. Doug Peterson. Oh, is, yeah. No, that's a good one. Doug Peterson is bigger than me. Doug Peterson is like his like, head is I'm, bigger than you. Huh? His head is bigger than you. The guy's got a dome. So like I've he's a one notcher. Like, he's, he's not a guy who's like a an he goes to lids and he just walks out. He's like, motherfucker. He's like my dad. <laughs> he's like my dad. Like you, you got to get your hats online. I, uh, <laughs> you just got to go on newera.com. You can't just walk into a lids. <laughs> um, so it's like, yeah. I have a, I have a promo code. <laughs> they go now, nah, man. Yeah. What size? <laughs> Eight and three quarters. No, no, sorry. Um, yeah, no, I, I put the Belichick tree up there. It's, it's gotta be up there. Okay. Last, uh, last couple of things. Do you have any good stories on what it's like after years of losing in St. Louis? being not only in the playoffs, but being with New England in the playoffs, where I wonder sometimes if it's just, hey, the whole point of being the Patriots is that nothing's different, prep is the same. But there has to be something a little different. Like, does Brady give you a speech? Does he change the music? Uh, Are you like, hey, Tom's with us? That kind of thing. Like, just help me understand uh, yeah. what that was like for you. I thought it was a cool process because it was like almost like being on the other side of a door that I'd stared at for a long time and never stared at it like, hey, I have a chance to walk through it. It was like, hmm, must be cool over there. 
Um, you know, the one thing that's not cool over there is the bye week practice in New England is like a fucking turkey bowl with pads. I mean, and I'm in there in a three technique taking double teams and my body is shot at that point. Um, cause it always is that late in the season. Um, and the stakes are really high. Like I think you're being evaluated in that week of practice and they don't really tell you. So like, you never know, like maybe you're, you're dealing with an injury on a Wednesday and you're down there taking on double teams and that affects how you're going to be evaluated through the playoffs. Like, depending on who you are. So I think just the evaluation. Then also I thought what was really cool that they do there was they would have guys like talk that were, I think they, they were new guys or older guys. Um, and just to get in front of that group and share kind of your perspective on what this means. I had a little bit of a different perspective cause I had never been there. So um, I think it was cool to hear guys who had been there. I'm sure it was cool for those guys every year and smart of Bill to, you know, breathe a little life into the mentality by having people talk from different places. Because if you've been there your whole life, maybe you don't appreciate how great it is to be there. Um, and vice versa, you know, like, so I was learning, Bill makes sure everybody's learning the whole time. Um, and it's a cool ride, but when it comes to experience, cause you and I were talking about this, it was like, when I went to Philly, they did the same thing. They had people talk. And when they had me get up there as if I knew a bunch about the playoffs, I'd fucking played in three playoff games my entire life. Is it like the program? Like before, like Latimer yeah. gets up there, he goes, Man. I did not headbutt a, a car window. Um, so my message was just basically like my little bit of experience in the playoffs is that experience actually doesn't matter. Um, you know, you, you see guys every every postseason making plays that you've never heard of before. You've seen guys that you've seen play for 10 years making crushing mistakes. Um, you know, I, I, the Ravens, for instance, you look at this this divisional round playoff experience chart. The Ravens are, are, are actually second behind the Saints. Does it feel that way at all? You know, like it's a new team. This is their third installment of their franchise. It's like, there was the Ray Lewis years. Now there was the Suggs and those guys, the Ed Reed. And now it's a totally different team. So I don't even know how they get to that number, honestly. Like who's so in Lamar, I mean, if if you if Lamar has something to prove, depending on what your narrative is, um, that doesn't feel like an experienced team. Saints have a ton of experience. How much of that is Drew Brees? I do think the Saints by far have the biggest, the biggest playoff DNA kind of like uh seen it all kind of vibe. Yeah, that makes um, sense. The Bucks, 153 playoff games between everybody on the team. How many are Tom? You know, so I, I think experience matters. It depends on the position that's experience. Um, it depends on who's experienced. But at the end of the day, anything can happen. So I learned that kind of in, in, in being a playoff player for the first time as a 32-year-old and then doing it again the next year and the next year. Check out Chris Long, the green light podcast big cat and i jumped on it was awesome um and it was a lot of fun man so please go yeah. ahead and subscribe to that one with chris if you like all of his stuff and he's going to do more of his picks throughout the week and all the playoff stuff so it was nice to finally do this again uh little reunions thanks man thank you buddy it was great it was great having you and and and, and coach cat on the other day <laughs> the Lama. that sucked for him all right gundy i'll see you
This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. We have a couple, but I want to get to this one. Normally, I wouldn't do this, but I just thought this was really good. So, we had a medical follow-up here um, <laughs> from our weed and sex guy from last week, right? Um, he did let us know that he's a family physician, was in the military, so he's done a lot of young adult medicine and mental health uh, stuff in his practice, okay? And again, we've seen some of these. They've been flagged by IT uh, because, to be honest, like some guys are kind of like going, hey, let me come on and I'll do this. And it, it's like, okay, that's that's maybe a good thing to do. But a lot of guys are, I can just tell like, oh, I I want to be able to come on the podcast and then I want to be able to build my thing and all that kind of stuff. So um, some of it, although it may seem very um, altruistic or whatever, I think sometimes it's it's guys kind of going for something. So this not this is not what this guy is doing at all. And he actually offered up, I think, some incredible stuff here. So he said, background, all right, we got that. Regarding the call of moving to California with the sex and pot concerns, you know when he says concerns, you're already in, in good hands. I would say it's great He's asking that question, but it seems like he's asking the wrong question. There needs to be a dialogue about dependency and his long-term health and probably the impact on his anxiety, which I feel like he might be avoiding or overlooking. Uh, I'm definitely not trying to wade into the marijuana debate here. It's way too complicated and not really the point. Okay, cool. Same page, same page. But it's important to understand dependency doesn't necessarily mean addiction. I hear this all the time with various vices, but particularly marijuana, that guys need it to manage their anxiety. The problem is to say the pot helps their anxiety and in the next breath describe how they continue to struggle with it. They continue to have guilt and panic and baseline anxiousness. We don't do a good job of this stuff, but it's where it's important to step back and evaluate that if this truly helped our mental state so much, why are these symptoms still a problem? Why would I need to use that substance with any frequency? Outside of... um physiologic dependency. I believe that's what we're looking at here. We have a big problem with 
Um, psychologic dependency. Okay, yeah, I think we got that. Instead of developing resiliency or healthy coping mechanisms, we develop a crutch in our mind that we need to burn one to get over that anxiousness. If someone needs to light up before work, then it's obviously not helping their anxiety in a healthy long-term way. You could make the same case for the sexual practices. I'll add that there's some compelling literature that heavy use in teens and young adults has been shown to exacerbate or cause mental health issues. There's notable increases in anxiety and depression and even heavy stuff like bipolar schizophrenia, not to mention that some forms of marijuana like waxes and synthetics, some of the synthetic stuff, guys, look out, can cause acute reaction that looks entirely like a psychotic episode that leads to long-term unnecessary treatment for presumed psychotic disorders. So uh, he's look, he says, I've had so many patients that hang on to pot or whatever is the thing they need to cope with their mental health is actually a wreck. The caller emailer probably needs to consider this. He obviously has some guilt or understanding that his current practices aren't great for him. He's emailing you and getting high before work. We were giving him credit because most of the guys that hit that weed sex profile, just that young, they're not emailing anybody. So <laughs> we thought that that was a big win. Um, like you said, it's awesome insight for a 21-year-old daily user. But if his question is whether or not this is healthy long-term, I think the resounding answer is no, not necessarily because of the marijuana but because he's not establishing a healthy foundation for his life ahead and with some different perspective, he may come to understand that that isn't as helpful for his anxiety as he thinks. I realize it's probably too much. No, it was actually great for the show. So thank you. We're not going to use the name here. But when he basically said, look, if you need weed every day and you're like, oh, man, it's just so good. I just get so anxious. It's just great. Um, maybe there's other stuff going on. And you're right. Like my buddies that just smoke all the time, like I, yeah, just need it. Just, uh, I just don't feel right. Until, and you're like, okay, but like in what other world? And that's kind of the thing with, with some of the weed to be. I remember Mark Brunell being with us in studio. He's like, this is bad, right? This is bad. And you were like, okay, but if I agree with you, then I sound like a narc, but I understood what he was saying. So it's always been kind of one of these, these things where all the stigmas are gone from it. Um, and I honestly don't. I really don't care. Like, smoke all you want. I think it's a little weird when guys are just blazing on the beach and there's kids around and, you know, smoke is wafting over and the parent looks at the kids and the kids are like, whatever, dude, it's legal. And you're like, yeah, but it's unfortunately, it's legal to be a dick too. The first one we're going to do, that's an actual life advice here. Here we go. Okay. Sports anchor, local TV news station, small market, but it's my hometown. Love it here an emotional connection. My family gets to watch me. I work in the community I care most about. Awesome, awesome, awesome. But I don't like my job. I absolutely love sports, but I'm a very guarded person with the whole persona on being TV, social media, and being known makes me uncomfortable, even if it's small market. I also really dislike the schedule. Now, as far as news goes, I have an easy night side 3P to midnight, Monday through Friday. It could be way worse but it's still very limiting when it comes to my relationships, family, friends, romantic. I'm with the man I want to marry, but we work completely opposite shifts. And I worry that we put a strain, uh, we'll put a strain on our relationship. I want to have kids one day and to be a great mom. Um, I want to be present in their lives, but I don't think that's possible when I'm gone every evening either. Still, I'm good at it. Good enough that I know now would be the time to seek out a position at a bigger market, 29 years old. Um, but I just don't want to. I don't think it should make me happy or fix any of the issues. I mentioned I love my hometown. 
Okay. My problem is actually leaving. In a small town, everyone thinks I have the best job ever. It does carry some weight. I know how happy and proud it makes my family. I worry about disappointing them or having others judge me for leaving. Also, I'm making comfortable money and might make less if I switch careers. I'm the primary earner in the family and I don't want to let them down. Plus, what the hell am I going to do? LOL. I like when people drop in LOLs on you because then you know they're cracking up. And then just on an emotional level, I thought this was my dream. I thought I wanted to go national. I keep reminding myself that dreams can change. Any advice? Okay, let's go through this here. Uh, this is this is something that I understand a little bit because when I was working, uh, well, I was interning at a CBS affiliate, WCX in Burlington, Vermont. It was 1999. It was. I was 24, 23, 24. And there was a chance I was actually going to get uh, the weekend on-air anchoring job for sports even though I would never been on before. And honestly, I don't think I should have even thought I was going to get it. They were telling me there's a really good chance. They like my work ethic. I've been there as an intern for a really long time. They thought I had a chance to be on air. And then look, they hired somebody else who who had been on air before. So, you know, not a surprise. I don't even think I deserved. Well, first of all, deserve is a weird thing. Because somebody's going to offer it to you. You don't go, hey, you know what? I've got this great opportunity and now I'm going to turn it down because I don't think I deserve it or I'm going to let them, I'm going to talk them into not hiring me. Fuck that. Like, don't ever do that kind of stuff. So in this case, I get the local community. I like towns like that. I, I think I hear what you're saying here. You're connected to it. You care about this place um, and you love sports. So you have the job that you want or that you thought you always wanted. As far as the social media and being known, like that's really up to you. You can share or not share as much or as little as you want to. I've worked with people that are obsessive about not sharing anything. And then they started to share a little bit more and they're like, Hey, it's not really that big of a deal. I've worked with other people that share way too much. And it's, it's weird to me. Um, but all everybody takes a different angle on the social media thing. It's not mandatory. I know you're probably seeing other people out there that are crushing it with social media and they're investing all of this time into it. And maybe it gets them a better job and all that kind of stuff. But eventually you actually have to still be able to do the job. So some of the people that are on air or have talk shows and they talk about how great the social media part of it is like, yeah, what about all the other hours we're actually talking about stuff and doing the job? That's still, I think, a little bit more important. Um, the social media stuff helps open a few doors. You know, like, hey, look at all the followers this person has, especially if they buy a of extra followers like a lot of people used to do at ESPN and they would get huge contracts and then when they had the vetting of all the followers they were like oh wait we just gave all these all these guys contracts and a lot of them were buying followers that's weird all right that was a rant on my own okay so back to uh back to what's going on here uh you said you have it easy you like your schedule three to midnight Monday through Friday it could be way worse it could be I mean if you're working weekends I worked weekends for three straight years where I only had I had less than five weekends off I think it was like three I took off over a three-year stretch you want to talk about ruining your uh your social life now you said it's limiting the relationships you're already with a guy that you want to marry so it's not the end of the world I know it's frustrating you probably don't get to spend as much time together but if you end up getting married and having kids you're actually going to be psyched because you're not going to be around each other as much it'll be fresh and uh, it's going to be awesome or maybe you actually do really like each other and you want to spend more time with each other so I'm trying to be a little sarcastic with that one here's here's what I think you're doing you have to decide hey do I really want to do this because if you want to do this and it sounds like you don't want to go national and you don't want to take all those steps that yeah are frustrating and hard and it's part of like you can start to talk yourself into thinking, well, wait a minute, everybody that goes local just goes national. So I need to go ahead and do that because that's the industry I chose. It can be a real epiphany when you go, wait, I guess there's no law that says I have to pursue all this other stuff that maybe I'm not even that interested in doing. So why am I making myself doing it? Well, I'm doing it because everybody else does it. Like everybody in my industry, I swear to God, like nobody's happy with just one job. They take up as many jobs as possible. And I think it's because there was like one guy that did it at first and now everybody's done it. I'm serious. So maybe you just need to be really honest with yourself about the fact that, hey, I'm not going to feel like I've done less than I should have 
because I stayed in a local market where it's kind of cool. Like that community thing, I, I really do think is a, is a cool thing to be a part of. But you picked an industry where basically you're changing cities every few years, and it doesn't sound like you want to do that. I don't mean to know if you want to be on the air in some of this, but you know what I do know? You're at a crossroads because you care. You're at a crossroads because you're in a very tough industry. And like I said before, there's so many times when you're on the air, you're looking around and seeing what everybody else is doing. And you're like, oh, should I be doing that? Can I be doing that? And then eventually like, you get a, bit, a little bit older. And it's not that you reach all your goals. It's that you probably stop asking yourself so many questions. And you're like, hey, you know what? This is what I do. I'm good at it. And it's cool. And there's, I'm, I'm trying to count my blessings and think all the positives as opposed to all the negatives of this. Because it doesn't sound like there's a lot of negatives. But I also think you're worrying about stuff before you really need to worry about it. Okay, you're working late at night. You're doing three to midnight. And you're worried that you can't be a great mom. You don't even have kids yet. You're not even married yet. And you're worried about the hours. Like, don't freak out about that stuff. And I'm not criticizing you because I did it the other day. I have a grandmother who's 93. She turned to 94. Still get on the phone with her, check in. Hey, how's it going? You know, pretty close to her. And, you know, she's moving into a home for the first time, which I think is an incredible run to make it to 93 and not be in a home. And now she's going in. And I was showering the next day. And for whatever reason, I was like, man, I'm going to fucking hate being in a nursing home. That's going to suck. And I let myself talk myself into being bummed out for about five minutes because of what my nursing home situation could be like uh, when it comes to that. I'm like, am I going to have a single? Am I going to have a double? Like, that's going to suck. You know, maybe I'll just stay in my place and board it up, you know? And then I go, hey, you know what we shouldn't do right now? You're 45. Let's not worry about being in a fucking nursing home today. All right. Let's not do that right now. We'll worry about that later. Because right now is not the time to worry about that kind of stuff. And yes, it's not the best comparison, but I think it's cool that you're asking yourself all of these questions, but take a deep breath and realize that it sounds like you have it pretty good and you can spend a ton of time worrying about all these things. Or you can say, okay, look, I'll do, I'll do one of two things. I'll embrace living in my hometown. You say you love your hometown. You love that your family gets to watch you. You love that you're in this community that you care the most about, but you're looking at all these other people that are going through the ranks and the grind and you're seeing somebody on sports and you're thinking, hey, should that be me? Should I be doing that? Pursue it, but pursue it without putting pressure on yourself. You know, take the steps, be like, all right, you know, I'll send out more tapes. You know, I'll ask my agent, hey, did you talk to this person? I'll go on LinkedIn and see who the people are that make those decisions at Fox and ESPN. It's super easy to find this stuff and just reach out and go, Hey, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm at. I'd love some feedback. And now all of a sudden you're planting seeds and you're starting relationships. That you didn't even have the day before. A lot of this stuff isn't that hard to do when somebody, and I'm not saying you did this, but we'll get emails and be like, Hey, how do I even get started? What do I do? And be like, the shit's it's Google. And then you go through, you type in stuff about stuff that you want to learn more about, and then you get that information, and then you connect with these people over emails. You know what people rarely do? They don't really, like, they may drag you along and be nice to you the whole time, but no one ever says, why did you email me? Like, I can't believe you that works in the same industry and me as somebody that works at an ESPN or Fox that makes these decisions on talent. How would you reach out to me? That's their job. Their job is to learn about people like you. But again, I'm not quite sure that you're selling me on the idea that you want to go national. I think you think you are supposed to want to go national because that's what everybody else does. But maybe you're really, really happy. And maybe if you stay in your town and the schedule gets a little easier and you have a couple kids and you're married and you're like, man, I'm so happy that I'm home and I never went anywhere else. And I didn't end up at a market that's two sizes bigger where I have to start over again socially. And I'm dragging my husband along who's not really that happy here. And he's trying to find work. So I'm not saying, look, we have a great 
we have great jobs, those of us that are on air, but that that first stretch of out of school and you know, some people get really, really lucky. And even now at 45, I'll see somebody get an opportunity. I'm like, wow, holy shit. Like it's even worse when you're in your 20s because you're like, oh, that person's ahead of me. They're in a bigger market. They're doing all these things. I should be doing that. Um, you might be happier than everybody because you may not really deep down want those things. So that was long, but I don't know. I've felt a lot of that stuff over the years. Okay. Um, big fan of the show. Care guy is in Atlanta from Brooklyn. Ooh, lived in Hartford. Shout out. It's been for the case for so many people during the pandemic lockdown really kicked me in the gut. In short order, my girlfriend moved out. I lost my grandmother, was furloughed, and eventually let go for my job with a prominent liquor supplier due to the bar industry going in the tank. I said I would give myself the holiday season to get up off the mat. Well, holidays are done. Our man is not off the mat, apparently. I should mention my ex moved about five miles down the road. We have two dogs. Oh, man. The dogs live with me. And still have remained close friends despite my best friends thinking this is not the smartest idea. I feel like a fresh start may be the move and I'm weighing a couple options. I've been putting a plan together for a mobile car, a mobile bar company at the beach in Florida. I've been in the industry for over 14 years. I have ties to the area, Florida State, Madison Social, shout out, uh, family. Okay, while it's still a majority tourist while it's still a majority tourist community, it is steadily becoming more of a year-round community. That said, a long way to go before it's anything like Hermosa and Manhattan Beach. The dating pool is lacking so much as I can tell. Probably better than Hartford, dude. Uh, the other option I have been looking at is taking a digital role and moving to a city like Asheville. All right, so a new city. The scope of that search is fairly wide. It's less based on a passion project and solely for a complete change of pace. I'm extremely shy I've had a horrid dating record. In fact, there's not much of a record to speak of other than X of roughly a decade. So he dated this girl. Are you saying you dated her for... How long did he date this girl? Oh my God, he did date her for 10 years. Moved to Atlanta with her. She moves out five miles down the road. So you're just telling me there's no resume here other than 10 years with this girl. I'm not socially inept or anything. I did work behind the bar for almost 14 years through college, Manhattan and Brooklyn. You have no game and you bartended for 14 years in Manhattan? I would consider myself a decent looking dude, just shy and horrendous at the dating game. Real quick tip on the dating part of it. If you're that shy and you're horrendous, just ask her questions about herself the entire time. If you have nothing to say that's interesting, <laughs> you're shy, you're, you're not funny. There's not, just ask her a million questions. That's about as good as I can do for you. I guess my question is, do I take a leap of faith, move to the beach where I'm risking financial stability and also possibly being solo at the beach for the foreseeable future with kick-ass dogs? I'm 36, so not super young. Yeah, you are. You're 36. All right. So don't start. Here's the thing. I would, um, this dog divorce needs to be official. I lived with somebody, not with, near somebody who had a long-term relationship, got a dog together. The other person wasn't allowed to bring the dog into their apartment. And then my friend had the dog, and it was always this dog thing, like getting constant fucking updates. Be like, oh, he has the dog. I have the dog. He came over to take the dog. He just took the dog. He didn't bring the dog back. And then eventually, once she started dating somebody else, guess what happened? The guy like raged, kidnapped the dog and was like, I'm keeping the dog. And then it turned into like a piece of furniture three years later. So what's really happening is that it's not about the dog. It's not about the furniture. It's about the other person in the relationship that's mad about where you're going. And then they're like, well, is there any way I can maybe take something back from this other person? And it's like, okay, cool. How long, did, how temporary was that endorphin kick in? Like 
four minutes. Like now you got the dog. Awesome. So the dog divorce needs to be official here because I'm afraid if your lack of confidence, as you admit, and being shy and being basically horrendous, but you've been dating this girl for 10 years, your friends think it's a bad idea. I would get away from her because I'm wondering if you still think it can work out. Maybe you think the dog gives you a chance for there to be a connection. You didn't really explain where you're at with this. Um, but if you're the one that probably wishes you were still together, I, I don't think the dogs are doing you any favor. Um, or you can just take the dogs and, and tell her, hey, look, I need to move away. But the dogs are keeping you interacting with somebody who after 10 years, it didn't quite work out. But I, I'm assuming a lot here, not knowing if she still wants to get back together. Or if you, All right. I don't like the uh, Asheville idea for you right now. I like the beach idea. Word. Option A sounds awesome. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a beach and it was like looking around like it'd be great if there was like a small bar here. I think it's I think it's <laughs> goddamn incredible. <laughs> I don't know what the legal stuff is there, but well, that's awesome. Sounds like it sounds like Kyle might be your first inventor, investor here. So, uh, yeah, Kyle loves the beach, the temporary beach bar idea, if that makes you feel any better. I'm curious that's if good. it's on I'd... wheels or like you just plop it down like a tent. Or is it like uh, they find you a towel on the beach and bring you a drink? I don't I don't understand, but sounds like we got wheels here, Kyle. It says mobile bar company. Now, yeah, startup. The only problem is, is like whenever you're doing these startup things, you have to be obsessed with it. There isn't like, ah, you know, I'll see how it goes with that. I think what you need, you spent 10 years with somebody. She's living down the street. You guys have shared custody of a couple dogs. You need to figure out the dog part and make it official. And you definitely need to move. You need to move. And I think you need a little beach. I think you need a little Kyle time right now. I think Kyle nailed this one. I think it is get to the beach. You're 36. You're worried about the dating pool. What's the dating pool going to be like with a tech job in Asheville <laughs> compared to which town are we talking about in Florida here? I thought he said um, Miami or one of those. South. No, Detroit, it's not. No, no. He's, he's further up, I think. I mean, if he's talking Florida State, we're way up. I'm I'm assuming he's one of those those spring break towns that I would never want to live in, but I would I would love to have been younger, roll through one of those for 48 hours and then get the hell out of there. But I uh I think this guy needs a little beach. I think Kyle and I, like this may be bad advice, but I think you need a little beach time. And I think you need to just get out there. And if you own a mobile bar company or start this up, and even if it doesn't really work out, then you're like, okay, I have this experience. And the tech job will be waiting for you. I get what you're saying. You're 36. You're not getting any younger. Maybe you want to start a family and all that kind of stuff. But don't start don't start rounding up a decade. You know, Guys can get real bummed out. You start freaking out about where we are in life and all this kind of stuff. And then next thing you know, you're turning 36 into 50 and it's been like two days. So don't do that to yourself. <laughs> still time to bet on yourself, right? Yeah, there's still plenty of time there. I mean, you're thinking about stuff. You have options. You're not just sitting around. So give yourself some credit on that. But I would, uh, I would get away from the girl thing because I'm afraid you're hoping the dog thing keeps some common connection that that maybe opens the window back up. But again, I could be completely reading this the wrong way. She might be the one that's psyched about sharing the dogs because she wants you back and you're like, get me out of it. But either case, both of those scenarios are like, start, hey man, start doing this. Every day that gets started, go start looking at apartments. You know, unless you're loaded, start looking at real estate. You know, look, start looking at different towns, start mentally planting that seed over and over and over again about, all right, I'm doing this. I'm doing it. And next thing you know, like, hell, dude, I put a picture of a beach house in Manhattan Beach in my fridge in Connecticut like eight years ago. I'm not big on that stuff. I think you guys get that. I'm not like reading a ton of Zen shit over here. 
But I was like, that's it. I'm doing it. And I picked this really nice house out of the picture. I didn't think I could afford the one that I had the picture of uh, now, but fuck it. I was like, all right. And I put it on the fridge. And every day when I go in there for, you know, probably a pressed juice, no big deal. Um, <laughs> I'd look at this picture that was just going to remind me like, hey, eventually, you know, keep, keep, keep the focus going here. So good luck with that. Update us from your mobile bar thing and see if there's a couple coupons or maybe a visor for Kyle, you know, a year from now. That'd be great, right, Kyle? I would love that. Would wear it with pride. <laughs> I loved how excited you got. <laughs> like you were just, I could hear you breathing almost where you're like, yeah, dude, it's a mobile bar. Well, it's like kind of my <laughs> idea. Like I'd love to have enough money to bring good bacon, egg and cheese breakfast sandwiches like on a truck to this town. Cause I mean, you're an East coast guy, you know, you can't find anything that's not like on a brioche bun with goat cheese on it. Like a real $3 bacon, egg and cheese. I think it'd be a hit for all the transplants here. That's like my passion. And it sounds like the mobile bar is this guy's bacon, egg and cheese. So that's great. <laughs> this is incredible. We're bringing people together. Okay. Enjoy the playoff games this weekend. Reminder, uh, Kevin Clark, I think, I think we're going to have Mallory Rubin on with us as well. Saturday, we'll be doing a reaction to the two divisional playoff games. And we did that last Saturday. It went really well. So we're probably going to do that again this Saturday. So big content week. So you can check out, um, for those wondering, the Harden trade, all that stuff. I did an hour emergency on that with Bill and with Jackie McMullen yesterday. So that's why, you know, by the time I tape this and this is coming out, I'm just wasn't going to do it again. So there you go. 